Good morning. If you have your Bible, a copy of God's Word in front of you, whether it be digitally or electronically or your paperback, you can be turning to John chapter 19. John chapter 19. You know, just a week ago we were assembled here together. Most of all of us were here and uh, I would say I felt like things were a bit heavy uh, and, and times we we knew the week that would lie ahead of us probably would hold some things that would cause us a little bit of stress and a little bit of chaos. And so things were a little bit, you know, been a little nerve-wracking for many of us. It's been one of those weeks where uh, there's been a lot on our minds and certainly a lot on our hearts. But I would say there are two things that help with that. Uh, number one, it's to be here. And we're thankful that you are here. Several people stated last week how being together on Wednesday night uh, even after the first couple of days of the week had been so stressful for many people who were worried about many things, to be together was wonderful. And so we're thankful that you're here. In a lot of ways, it's one of the best kinds of medicine that you can take, to be here with God's people. And we certainly miss all of you who are watching online and are not able to be here. We would uh, encourage you to be here if you can. A lot of people are still nervous about things, but certainly we're doing our best uh, to try to stay as distant as we can, to wear masks as, as much as we can in here, and to make it as safe as possible. Uh, certainly, as we said last week, uh, we have our, our crowds are getting to a good size, and the pews that are available are filling up. But whether you come into here for a little bit of overflow or in the lobby or somewhere, we want you to be here, if at all possible, because it's, it's good for us, and it encourages us to be together, even amidst the regular trials of life, and certainly with the things the last week has held for us. I firmly believe that probably the best medicine really is laughter. Uh, and, and, you know, we've not had a whole lot of that this week. But if you are a part of social media, there's, there's been some of that. So maybe you've shared with me and some of the good things that encourage us, such as the fact that we've been looking at a map that looks like this all week. Uh, some of you may have seen that on social media. That's kind of what we felt like. Uh, and we see things like that, and it causes us a little laughter amongst even the, the stress that we felt uh, throughout the week, or uh, lots of folks have shared their sentiments, and maybe you agree with this one that I did, that what a year this week has been. You know, that's kind of what it's felt like for most of us. It's felt like it's been a whole year just within a couple of days. But what's interesting is many of us have simply longed for three simple words. Three simple words. Many of us, even despite what we believe or the way that we voted or who we wanted to be in charge, we kind of, many of us, by the end of the week, long for three simple words. It is finished. Just let it be done. Whatever it may be, we're ready to move on. Appreciate Gabe's prayer so much, and many have prayed sentiments such as that. Just let it be finished. And so we've kind of been longing for this idea that it is finished. And maybe it is, maybe it isn't. We're not going to discuss that in the sermon this morning. But suffice it to say, we've kind of had that emotion amongst all the stress and even amongst some of the laughter that we've tried to share among these things. But for Christians, that phrase is familiar to us because we've heard it before. I ask you to turn to John chapter 19 because that is where we find this particular phrase and we're very familiar with the words that are uttered. It is finished. And so in John chapter 19, beginning in verse number 29, Jesus the Christ, our Savior, the Son of God, is hanging. He's suspended between heaven and earth, as we sometimes say. He's beaten. He's bloodied. He's been mocked. He's been spat upon. They've made fun of him. They've ridiculed him. They've hung him there. They put him to the point of death. And you've heard the lessons. We can only imagine what his body is going through physically, the actual trauma 
And in verse 29, we get the, the idea that, that there's nothing left in his mouth. He, can't, he can barely even get up enough spit or spittle in his mouth to try to quench his thirst. And so he's hanging there in agony going through this. And in verse 29, or at the end of verse 28, he says, I thirst. Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there. And they filled a sponge with sour wine and put it on hyssop and put it to his mouth. In verse 30, So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And bowing his his head, he gave up his spirit. You see, when we think about momentous occasions in the history of the world, we've talked about this week nonstop, and we've said it's the most momentous uh, election we've ever had, and, and this big thing that we're always going to remember. But when we think about great days or important days in the history of the world, or even important moments... Jesus hanging on the cross saying, it is finished and giving up his spirit, giving up his spirit. We talk about the idea that it was voluntary, that, that he did it, of, of course, of his own accord. He, he's the only one who could give it up, and he did, hanging there, saying those words. And as you've read Matthew, Mark, and Luke's, the different accounts, we put all that takes place together, John records for us that he simply utters one simple phrase. It is finished. Now what's interesting is it's not just one simple phrase, but when you actually go back to the Greek language, it's one simple word. Three words in our English Bible, that's one word in the Greek, tetelestai. Crying out, tetelestai. It is finished. Now as best that I can read from history and from things that we know, this word was used quite often in many different forms. One was said to be servants. A servant who was going to do the work of the master would do the work, and when he would come back to the master, he would say, Tetelestai, it's finished, I'm done, Tetelestai, it is finished. And the servant was done working for the master. Some people say that it was used by farmers, that farmers, as they were attending to their animals, and there would be uh, babies that were born whenever one of these babies, and we think, of course, particularly about a lamb that was born, and that lamb seemed to be without blemish, blameless and without spot, that the farmer would cry out, Tetelestai, it is finished. Some people say that there were artists, that artists, as they were painting, and some of you are good at that, and, and it's not one of my talents, but, but you paint, and you paint, and you work, and, and sometimes you work up close with a piece of canvas or a piece of art, and you step back. You take in the full picture, and you look at that, you kind of look, and maybe you turn your head a couple of different angles, and you see, and you realize it's, it's perfect. There's nothing else to be added to this painting, and the artist would say, Tetelestai, it is finished. Or maybe some folks suggest that it was an accounting term, and I think it's true, an accounting term that was used in in Romans. If you were to take your tax bill to the Romans and you paid your taxes, the Romans would then take your tax bill and stamp on it and write, Tetelestai, it is finished. You're paid in full. You know, I, I kid with Charles sometimes and other song leaders. Typically, I, I'm one of those preachers who likes a, a bit of a more upbeat song, you know, before the lesson and appreciate Charles and the others who have a stand. You know, we kind of stand up and we sing a song right before the lesson and we get excited about that. Charles picked one this morning, of course, at my request that was a little bit slower. It's usually one we sing around the time of the Lord's Supper or maybe as an invitation song. But you remember the sentiment. Jesus paid it all. Stamping on our bill. It is finished. To Telestai, it is finished. He paid it all. All to him I owe. And so we see this word, and it's one word, 
in the Greek, broken down into three words in our English Bible, it is finished. But what's interesting is, as we think about in John chapter 19 and verse 30 there, Jesus says, recorded for us, it is finished. And that's it. He gives up the Spirit. But I would submit to you that in that moment, and certainly us looking back at that moment, we can surmise a few other things. And that's what we're going to do for the rest of the lesson. You see, I, can think, we, I think, can think that we can surmise some things that Jesus didn't mean. I think when he said, it is finished, he's not saying, I am finished. He's not hanging on the cross saying, it's all over, I'm done for, they've won. He's not crying, well, it's finished, I, I can't do anything else. Because in fact, we know he'll come back. He does come back, and even then, he promises to come back again, and we've been talking about that in our Wednesday night Bible class over the last few weeks. But he's not hanging there saying, I'm done for. You know, they've got me. I mean, there's nothing else I can do. They've got me back in the corner. I'm literally, literally down to my last drop of blood. I, I'm sorry. I'm out of luck, guys. There's nothing else I can do for you. That's not what he's saying. When he says, I am finished, it's not that they've won and it's over. That's not what he's saying. I would say, secondly, he doesn't mean either we are finished. He's not looking at those gathered around him. In fact, if you're still there in John chapter 19, he had just finished talking to his mother and to some of those disciples or apostles who were there. But he's not hanging there saying, you know what, all this work I've done, all this hard work, but, but in the end, they won. I mean, I'm sorry, guys. Hey, fellas, all you guys that are around, this is it. I'm sorry. We are finished. Our cause can't go forward. We've got nothing left to do. That's not what he's saying here. It's not I am finished. It's not we are finished. And I would even ask you to put yourself back in the position of those people gathered around. You see, we can look back, and we've talked about this, even those who were against him. We've mentioned the fact before that when he says it is finished, and he bows his head in humility and voluntarily gives up his spirit, there are possibly even cheers going on. The devil and his angels have won. The black flags of hell are waving at their highest. He is gone. He is no more. We have accomplished our goal. He is dead hanging on that cross. He said it himself. It is finished. But we know, even though we can't look into his mind, even though we can't go back and time travel to that moment, we know that that's not what he's saying. He's not saying, I'm done. He's not saying, guys, this is it. We're finished. Sorry, you might as well just go back to your careers and your life. That's not what he means when he cries out to Telestai. It is finished. But what does he mean? I think a few things we can, again, surmise. Number one, when he says it is finished, I think he's saying his sufferings are finished. We know from Isaiah chapter 53, we think about the suffering servant. Isaiah 53 says he was oppressed. He was afflicted like a lamb before the slaughter. Did you know that Jesus is God? Did you know that Jesus was a man? We know he suffered. We know that he bled. We know that he felt pain. And so I think in a sense he is saying it is finished. He's done. I, I don't know about you. I, we think about our, our soldiers who sometimes go into battle and people who sometimes go out and for our country. And sometimes they're captured. And when they're captured, sometimes they're tortured. And sometimes we consider about how much torture we might could take before we started giving up all of our, our secrets. If, if you're like me, it wouldn't take very much. They might just pull out some type of instrument and I'd be ready to, to cry and give all the information I have. 
He truly suffered. I mean, He was in pain. He was bleeding. And he suffered through it all. We sing again. He could have called 10,000 angels. You see, it's not just that He could have given up, but He could have called down victory. He could have stopped it at any moment, but He didn't. He suffered. He suffered. And I think, in a sense, from even maybe a bit of a mere human sense, He is saying, it is finished. This is the end. I'm done. Again, literally, maybe His last drop of blood, His last breath. He takes a little bit of sour wine, maybe just to even wet His mouth, and He can utter those words. And He's saying, it's over. This suffering is complete. But maybe secondly, in connection with that, when we think about what he meant, the shadows were complete. Now, of course, trying to use all S words here for our memory device or for us to maybe remember the points here. When we think about shadows, we're simply thinking about the Old Testament. If you have your Bible, turn to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. When he died, he did away with the shadows. The shadows were finished. The Old Testament was finished. Colossians chapter 2, beginning in verse number 13. Paul writes, And you, to those in Colossae, and you, being dead in your trespasses, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he, that's Christ, has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. But let's continue, because we usually stop there. Verse 15, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Therefore, because of that, because of what he did, let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths, which are a, here's our word, a shadow, at least in the New King James, a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. Context matters and is important. Here Paul is writing to those in Colossae who are dealing with a heresy. There are people who are practicing a lot of different things. It's really kind of a mixed bag. These people are teaching folks to practice some mystic things, some things that don't pertain uh, to the Bible, and even they would say that Christ wasn't deity. But a part of that mixed bag of teachings that this group was promoting and pushing on these Christians were Jewish things. And so you read there in verses 15 and 16 about food and drink. They're holding them to the old law. But he says, therefore, beginning that particular section, because right before that, and I don't know if you have this marked in your Bible, but you might if you don't, this is the passage we usually refer to, Colossians chapter 3 and verses 14, specifically, that he has taken that, the handwriting of ordinances, the old law, out of the way and nailed it to the cross. You see, those things pointed towards him coming. The whole Bible is about Jesus. We sometimes don't point that out and forget that. But the whole Bible is about Jesus, even as Cody reminded us of that recently. The Old Testament is pointing the way towards Him. And so Paul is making the statement, it was done. The shadows are done. The Old Testament is done away with. Let no one hold you to circumcision or to food festivals or drink or any of those things because it's no more. Jesus nailed it. To the cross. So when he cries out to tell us, die, it is finished. He's saying it's done. There's no longer a need to worry about those old things. The old things have passed away. There are new things. There is a new testament. There is a new covenant. There is the fulfillment of the covenant that was made 
with Moses. In fact, one more passage here. Turn to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9, and I'll throw a few different verses out to you here for the sake of time as we'll skip around. Hebrews chapter 9, first of all, beginning in verse 15. We know that the Hebrew writer continually talks about better things. And he says, and for this reason, he, that's Jesus, is the mediator of something better, of the new covenant, by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions under the the first covenant, the shadows, the old things, that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. But notice verse 16, for where there is a testament... The old is done away with, the New Testament is in effect. There must also of necessity be the death of the testator. You see, that's Jesus. He's hanging there and when he says to tell us die, it's finished. He is the one who is dying so that the New Testament could come into effect. But go forward to chapter 10 in verse number 1. For the law, here's our word again, having a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with these same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year make those who approach perfect. The shadows, they weren't good enough. They weren't going to accomplish it. The sacrifices, they weren't good enough. They weren't going to accomplish it. It was going to take the Son of God hanging on the cross and crying out to Telestai. It is finished. But number three, we might go forward and say that what else was finished when he cries out in that way was his sacrifice, his actual sacrifice. We might say his work. You remember in Luke chapter 2, in verse 49, Luke 2, 49, as he has been separated from his parents, and then they come back and they find him again among the people there, and he says, do you not know that I'm to be about my father's business? I'm to be doing my father's work. Go over to John chapter 4. In John chapter 4, he says something very similar along these same ideas about the work of the Father. John 4, 34, he says, My meat, my food, my work is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. That was what his goal was. Everyone else had their own goals for him. Everyone else wanted him to ride triumphant. I think that his disciples and the apostles were sad at watching their leader hang there in a sense, but they were also sad because they thought they were missing out on what they thought should occur. He was supposed to ride triumphant. He's the one. They're not supposed to kill him and hang him on a cross. What's going on here? But he is saying, my will or my my work is to do the will of the Father. That was his goal. That was what he came to do. And so when he cries out, it is finished, he's saying, my sacrifice, my work is complete. Look in 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 24 specifically. 1 Peter 2, 24. Peter writes about this same idea of what Jesus went through and how he suffered and what he was, what he was going to accomplish 1 Peter 2, 24, who himself, Jesus, bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. It is his work, his sacrifice that was complete here. And as he, throughout his entire existence here on this earth, is constantly saying, it is about the Father. It is about His will, and even as He prays. And sometimes we can do it, and sometimes we say it, but maybe we don't really mean it. Thy will be done, not mine. It's hard. Well, it's easy to say, but it's hard to really live it out. It's hard to really mean it, 
Think about elections. Think about sickness. Think about dying. We sometimes say thy will, but we don't really mean it because we think we know better. And no doubt they thought, what is going on here? How is it that our leader, our Savior, Jesus is dying on the cross? But he said, it's about the will of the Father. I have completed his work. And hanging there, he says, to Telestai, it is finished. Have you ever stepped back and taken a look at a piece of work that you've completed? Again, going back to what we said earlier, the best example is probably an artist. But for many of us, there are other things. We accomplish things around the house and we step back and we say, it is finished. My work here is done. I think hanging there as he cried that out, he meant his sufferings were done. His sacrifice was done. The will of the Father was complete. But then fourth and finally this morning, in regards to what he really meant, when he cried out, it is finished, salvation was complete. Again, there from 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 24, we think about that it was his stripes. By his stripes, we are healed. And the fact of knowing that he came so that we might have our sins washed away. Salvation is complete. That we might live for righteousness, Peter says there. And even as we think about Hebrews chapter 9 again, in Hebrews chapter 9, this time in verse number 26, we notice that the Hebrew writer says, He then, Jesus then, would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now, once at the end of the ages, He has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of Himself. Salvation. The Hebrew writer says, Salvation has come. He doesn't have to continually suffer. It's not a sacrifice like the old that we have to do time and time again at the exact example that God has given to us. Once, once he can hang there, once he can suffer, once he can die, and then he can say to Telestai, it is finished. Salvation has come. Revelation chapter 7 and verse number 10. Salvation belongs to our God. A bit of a newer song that we sometimes sing, but one that our youth know. Salvation belongs to our God. And it came in the form of His Son. Salvation belongs to God. He sent His Son. And when Jesus cries out, it is finished once and for all, it is done. It is completed. And it will continue being finished. Salvation came to the world, to all of mankind. And we are blessed by that even still today. Because despite whatever things come in our life, we can have salvation. So when we think about Him coming, we think about Him dying, hanging on the cross, and crying out that great phrase, we know what He didn't mean. And I even think we can know what He did mean. But what does it mean for us? I mean, that was a great moment, and we can consider that. But what does that mean for us? A few thoughts and the lesson will be yours. Number one, we know that nothing can undo what He did. Nothing can undo what He did. He said it. Are you stressed? Do you have anxiety? Have you been up late watching the news and, and every talking head that you can find to see what they have to say about elections? He said it. He did it. And nothing can undo that. Despite the fears and worries we may have about our country and even leadership or anything else, despite the fact that we just want to hear that it's over, that it's done, that it, that, that part is finished, it is finished. 
He accomplished that, and nothing can undo that. Forget an earthly election. The most important event is finished. And when we're frustrated and when we're stressed and when we're anxious, we can look around us, we can open our Bible, and we can be reminded that nothing can undo what He did. Secondly, though, we might say that we can realize that I don't have to work for God's grace. When we think about what was accomplished when he utters that phrase and it truly was done, I can know that I don't have to work for God's grace because he did it. He said it. He accomplished it right then and there. Ephesians chapter 2 and verses 8 and 9. The world's familiar with it. For by grace you have been saved. Right? Not of yourselves, not of works, lest any man should boast. That's true. We have to argue sometimes against those that say that you can work for your salvation or that it's grace only. We have to kind of have that discussion from time to time. But there is no doubt that by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul would write those words. For by grace grace you have been saved that's a true fact right that's a true statement and so i could know that i don't have to work for god's grace jesus accomplished it and when he uttered that great phrase when he's ready to bow his head and humbly give up his spirit and die there on the cross for you and for me i don't have to work for god's grace jesus took care of that and i'm so thankful that he was willing to do that as i know that you are but when we're stressed and we're anxious and we're worried about things of this life let's Remember that I don't have to work for God's grace. But then third, and finally this morning, we can remember that I have a citizenship. You see, it's come up a lot lately. We've even seen people joke about how four years ago they were going to leave the country if a certain person was elected president. I don't know if you've seen it nowadays, but some people are still saying, I'm going to leave if a certain person is elected president. We worry about our citizenship. We're thankful for this great country we're thankful for the freedoms that we have. We have a citizenship here, and, and we are proud of that and the things that we do have here. But when we think about Jesus crying out, it is finished, we need to be reminded that we have a citizenship. It's discussed in, discussed in Philippians chapter 3, verses 18 through 20. If you have your Bible there, open up, because I want to point out to you that oftentimes we do miss the context of things. Ephesians chapter 2 Verses 18 through 20. Because what's taking place there, in fact, if you notice, Ephesians chapter 3 and verse number 8, uh, excuse me, Ephesians chapter, Philippians chapter 3. I'm messing that up there as I turn to Ephesians. Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3 and verse number 20 begins, for our citizenship is in heaven. But that's all it really says. What's the context? In verse 18, Paul says, for many walk of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, in tears. Paul was struggling with some of these same things, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. There are people who are, would be considered enemies of the cross, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. For, or you may even have therefore in your Bible, that meaning in contrast, Enemies of the cross, people who are going after their own desire and their own bellies, those whose end is destruction, whose mind are on earthly things. Therefore, in the opposite way, we have a citizenship in heaven. You see, we have citizenship here upon this earth, and we're thankful for that, for this good country, as we said. But we have to remember that I have a citizenship. I have it in heaven, and it's because of Jesus. It's because he hung there and he cried, It is finished. And here's the thing, 
as I said a moment ago, those who were standing around took it as a message of defeat. He's done. We're, we're watching him. He's no longer breathing. He's bowed his head. He is done. We've gained the victory. But it's not a message of defeat. It's a message of victory. When he cries out to Telestai, it is finished. He is laying claim to all the things that we've already mentioned and so much more, including over Satan and over death, over sin. It is finished. We need to look to what he did. We need to know that it's finished. And we need to then live a faithful life of obedience to him. You see, this moment on the cross, this crying out that it is finished, it was a moment that was long contemplated, long promised, and it was even long expected, and it was done. To Telestai, it is finished. I don't know when our elections in this cycle and this year will eventually totally be done. I don't know when our life here on this earth will be done. I don't know when your stress and your anxiety will be done, but no that it is finished. He accomplished it there in that moment upon the cross, and we can be thankful for that. Jesus paid it all. He stamped your bill to tell us die. He stamped my bill, paid in full. Which leads us to the point of our lesson where we usually extend Jesus' invitation. You see, because it's nothing that I can say or do. It's nothing that the elders here can say or do. It's the Lord's invitation. He's the one who suffered. He's the one who cried out, it is finished. So he is the one who then sets the terms of what we need to do to be obedient. He laid out a simple plan of salvation that we can follow that culminates in the same action that he went through. Being baptized, going down into a grave as he went into the grave, rising again to walk in newness of life as he rose again. You can do that even this morning. We would gladly assist you in that. We would gladly study with you more because it takes more than just hearing that in a sense. You have to know what you're committing to. You have to truly understand what you're doing, which is why it's more than just getting wet. There's a whole list of things here that one should do so that they fully commit to Christ. You can say it's done. Your battle can be complete even this morning over, over sin in the sense that you can be baptized for the remission of sins and be saved. Be ready to go to home in heaven. But as we know, for us, even when we cry out in that moment, it is finished, rising out of the watery grave of baptism to walk in newness of life, it's not truly finished for us. We don't have the same power that he had, and so it's not over. And so we struggle here on this earth. We sin, we mess up, and we stand in need of God's second law of pardon, that we can repent of sin, confess those to God, and ask for forgiveness, and he is faithful to do just that. Not only that, but gathered here as a body of people, we can pray for you and we can pray with you. The point is, it's done. You don't have to leave with any worry on your heart or mind. You don't have to go home. You don't even have to fear an election. You don't even have to fear death because it is finished. But you have to be in Christ in order to enjoy those spiritual blessings. And whether you need to become a Christian or come back to him, we'll be singing to encourage you as we stand together and as we sing.